You're listening to Supervision with a Vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today, Heather and I are talking about the power of countertransference and supervision. This week, we read Getting Triggered as a Counselor, published in Counseling Today, 2022. Heather, the first point the article made was you've got to recognize this. Right. And I think you're not going to recognize it unless you're talking about it. One. But do you ever get that like creeping feeling where you're like, aha, like if I'm resistant to something, maybe there's some countertransference there. Like, I don't know if I'm ever that. Oh, what? I'm aware so of it. aware. Right. That sounds awfully aware. Do you do that? A couple of times, but I usually know going into it, like red flag, like not red flag, yellow flag, I might have some countertransfer. Yes. I think I have a group of clients that I know it just rings a little true after me that, that you know, the issues that they, they're dealing with. And so if I get a phone call for someone who's wanting to set an appointment and that's the type of issue or concern that they've got that I sometimes will will right away say, you know, I don't have right. in my schedule, but I've got a friend who I think would be great for you. Right. But that doesn't feel like what you're saying. Like, it's actually bothering me. And then I go, oh, wow, I'm having countertransfer. Right. So, but I do <laughs> doubt it before it gets there. It does make me think of, I was having a disagreement with a counselor friend one time. And I can't, whatever the disagreement was. Right. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. It wasn't important. But in the middle of the disagreement, he said, I feel like this argument isn't about what we're talking about. Anyway, oh. No. <laughs> I have, like, I remember I, I was on fire. Like, I turned bright red and went, <laughs> and I left the right, room. Right. And I, I went back to my office and stomped around in my office and still was just totally annoyed. And a couple of minutes of stomping around. <laughs> and then I thought, he's totally right. Yes. And now I'm so annoyed that he's right. Totally right. But right. that took me a long time. Okay. To, I mean, someone clearly pointed it out. Mm-hmm. I had to go think about it and be mad about it. And then could I acknowledge, okay, yeah, that's probably some countertransference. Right. Which makes me think, I like that you said, you're not going to recognize it unless you're talking about it, that if you and I have to go through that process to acknowledge it, then our supervisees. Right. It's, it has to be much more effortful for them. Mm-hmm. So our job as a supervisor is to acknowledge it right. and talk about it. Right. One of the supervisee not too long ago sharing a difficult situation with one of their clients. The client was fairly established, but lots of things had changed in the client's life. And I also knew lots of things had changed in my supervisee's life. <laughs> and so she was talking about just the different things. And she's like, it's all just so exhausting. It makes me so tired. And she was really in the moment. And I was yes. like... Wow, that. And as I started to say it, she's like, countertransfer. And it was like this big, ugly thing. I'm like, no, it's good that you can yeah. see it. Yeah. It's a powerful tool. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. This article, what well, it actually did touch on it. It just wasn't one of the main points. I think the intro to the article says that historically, maybe not so much anymore, 
we're taught that countertransference is a negative and that you need to get rid of it and minimize right. it. Right. And this article is saying, no, actually, it's you don't have to hide it or it's not like a big, ugly thing. Right. But it can be really useful. Like right. You're saying. I mean, you're human and you have a similar experience is usually if countertransference builds up, that's why. Mm-hmm. And maybe our clients don't have awareness, but we are working on cultivating our awareness. Mm-hmm. So maybe we become aware of it before our, our clients do. Right. And so then that is useful and helpful right. to our clients that we can help them with that. So we we said you might know it when it's happening in the moment, they have a countertransference. You might acknowledge beforehand that this is an issue that might cause you some countertransference and you right. might change directions because mm-hmm. of that. And that we help our supervisees by bringing it to light the same way we do with clients. So mm-hmm kind of a chain reaction. That right. When we make our supervisees aware of it, then our supervisees are more likely to make their clients aware of it more quickly. Right. And then the next point in the article is manage it. So we're saying it's not a bad thing. It's going to happen. What does managing it mean? You know, I think sometimes you, you touched on this a minute ago. It feels like a negative, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have countertransference, then it must be a negative or it's like, oh, a bad, ooky thing. I'm not supposed to have these feelings or they're not supposed to go this way. I'm supposed to be the one not, you know, I'm supposed to be the one holding all these feelings, not dealing with them. So I think it's important to kind of talk through with your supervisees, especially about like, okay, so now we're aware of this. What do we do with this? What does it look like? How do you need to do your own work or do you need to do? What if we called it now? Because I I was trying to think of what would we call this in, instead of managing it? Because I think managing it has the connotation that it's still negative. Um, yeah. What if we called, what if we said that recognize it and the next step is harness it? Right. It can be used in great ways. It can be used to, I mean, the more awareness you have about what's going on internally, then the better dynamic you have in in your session. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any specific examples, either a supervisee or yourself, where you weren't aware of it and you were able to harness it and it actually ended up being really powerful. I think for one of my supervisees, she was focusing with a client with postpartum and she realized that she herself, I mean, she had talked about it before, but all of these things were coming up and how she handled her postpartum stuff was so similar and so in the same vein as what this client was going through. Like, she said it was really hard to maintain that like counsel, like I am the counselor. And I said, well, have you ever just said I would I dealt with some postpartum stuff similar to yours? And she was like, I can say that. Like it's allowed. Like, it's allowed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, actually, yeah. I mean, again, back to the whole thing, like you are a human and you've had the same experience. You might be experiencing it differently. It doesn't mean that you're a lesser counselor because you acknowledge something you went through. Mm-hmm. I think in the eating disorder world, it's maybe not always recognized and not always Reason, hardest, right. but there's a pattern that a lot of clients with eating disorders aren't speaking up for themselves okay, and advocating or asking for what they need. And then there are a lot of professionals mm-hmm. that do the same. Mm-hmm. I think that it wouldn't be too far big of a stretch to say there are probably not just eating disorder counselors, but lots of counselors who right. don't feel confident advocating for themselves or asking for what they need. But that if you can recognize that in yourself, then how much more powerful might you be right. at helping a client recognize that they need to speak up for themselves? Right. right. That's a great example. I'm also thinking, I saw this recently and I can't, it must have been, I don't know, somewhere on social media, but it said you, and it was talking to counselors, 
you are the grown up you wish you had. Yes, I saw that. Yes, I thought it was uh-huh. that if we could be the kind of adult that we needed as a kid, mm-hmm. then if we have kid clients, then we are providing for them something right that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our last point. First, it's recognize it. Then we've kind of changed manage it to harness it. And the last point is take it to supervision. So what are ways where you've highlighted or emphasized countertransference in supervision? Maybe an activity or something that you do that you make it the, the feature. I think it's important to call it as you see it. So if your supervisee is going through something, you just need to say it like, oh, well, you know what that is, right? And even if you're, you know, like, do you feel like that might be countertransference? You can just say, that sounds like countertransference. Like you can put it out there. But I think also I kind of do a check-in, especially with, if I'm sensing my supervisee is having a a hard time with a client for a situation and I'm not even sure why, like it just (laughs) seems like they're struggling to kind of like make, so how are you feeling about this client? I think so often in therapy, we get used to dealing with everyone else's emotions. Like, well, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. Like, is this one of those clients that, gives you so much energy throughout the day that you need to see them early in the morning because you just like hyped up after you see them? Or is this the client that drains the room and you're exhausted and you can't do those, you know, just kind of really like, how are you feeling during your session? Mm -hmm. I love that. We didn't talk about that very much, but I tried to do that for myself and tried to help point that out to supervisees that if you see four people in a row that zap your energy, the fourth person's not getting the best of you. Right. And if you know that, switch it up a little bit and maybe ask those four people to adjust their schedule so that you can see them at different times during your week. Right. So that they do get. Right. The best counselor. Mm -hmm. What about, we also haven't talked about this. How do, well, maybe not, maybe change, well, I'm going to change my question a little bit. Have you felt countertransference towards your supervisees? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I'm not sure, uh, but I'm sure I have. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Like, I'm sure I have, right? Because we've all been in their situation. Mm-hmm. Like, we've all been a supervisee at some point. Mm-hmm. I think, okay, this is slightly different than, yes, we've been, a, we've been a supervisee, so we see ourselves in their role. Right. I think I have felt this and makes it a lot more challenging when I'm supervising somebody that I also manage. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, and they're right under that. Same. Oh, I like so we have that. different, mm-hmm. we have a complicated relationship. But what if I've got a supervisee who's just doing exactly what supervisees do? They're learning and right. figuring it out, and it's a process. And so they're doing all the things that they should be doing as a supervisee. They're maybe also struggling as an employee. Right. It makes it a little more sticky. Right, because <laughs> I I play both roles as maybe a manager and a supervisee for the, or supervisor for that person then I have different emotions mm-hmm. that, okay, yes, this is a learning process for you, but also I need you to do your job. Right, right. And I have feelings about the fact that you're not doing your mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important. I think it's important. So when you have that situation, do you just deal with it like head, like straight on with them? Like, hey, this is something that falls under our management relationship. <laughs> or do you do you direct it differently? I think be probably because I like the supervisor role more than I like the uh-huh. manager role. I still do manager. So maybe that conversation would look like, 
Tell me how this is working for you. Tell me how you feel about it. Tell me what would be different in this situation mm-hmm. that would help you. And then, and that would all sound like, right. like a supervisor. Right. And then the part where I switch over, at, you know, change hats and I'm more of the manager, that I would still be patient and empathetic, but I would also be clear, I still need you to accomplish this. Right. It, you know, you just demonstrated perfectly is going back up. Like, that's harnessing it. That's exactly like harnessing the mm-hmm. the dynamic to make sure that now we're aware of it. So let's mm-hmm. continue rolling. That's great. Well, and I may, you know, maybe those two roles are intertwined because as I'm asking those questions that sound more like a supervisor, I am also thinking like a manager. Of course. Right. And I'm thinking if they tell me, for example, I, I'm going to use ridiculous numbers to just to emphasize right. this. What if the expectation is that they see 60 clients per week? <laughs> I mean, that's just right. impossible. Right. But that's the company's expectation is that you're going to mm-hmm. see, you're going to have 60 sessions this week. And supervisor me is going, okay, well, how are you feeling? How is that working for you? Mm-hmm. What could be different that would help you? And hopefully, maybe because they have, they feel like they can say it to me or because I'm right. helping them to say it, that they would say 60 hour, 60 sessions per week is unattainable. It's right. ridiculous. That manager me would go, it really is unattainable. Right. Yeah, it really doesn't work. It's yeah. really pretty ridiculous. And if I hadn't, I mean, that that's a ridiculous number. So me, the manager, would have already tried to advocate and say, 60 hours is right. not... That's unhealthy. <laughs> but maybe they're telling me, and I do feel like I've been, in, I've been the supervisee where this happened, where I said, well, the number of sessions plus the number of groups... I can do that. Mm-hmm. But when you throw in the number of hours in meetings that I'm in every week, right. I can't right. fit all of mm-hmm. my tasks in. The, then the manager would go, well, that's right, actually. Right. There's not enough hours there, in the day to make that work. And yeah, unless we're going to buy you a bedroom set and move it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that a manager would also think, well, we can't compromise the groups or we can't cro- compromise the sessions. So. Right. The space where we need to compromise is all of these hours and meetings. Right. So I think there's some overlap, but I, I do think I have to be thoughtful of that. And I lean more towards asking questions or being supportive in a supervisor way. Right. Well, and it does also allow your supervisees to brainstorm what would be best, because even though you might have an idea of what be, might be right, mm-hmm. you may not know all of their dynamic and why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think you've ever been in the role of a supervisee where somebody was, did that well or did it really poorly? I can think of a couple ones that went really poorly where I kind of kept giving the softball, like, here you go. Don't you think this is the end? Like, could this, could it be this? And you're giving like almost a, the solution for them to see and they're not grabbing on and they're just kind of fixated on whatever belief they want to have about it. And then eventually you just have to rip that bandaid off and say, no, this is not working for you. This is too much. You need to speak up and not not do it this way or not try to do so much people pleasing or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So then that's a, an issue of awareness, right? right? So you're talking to a supervisee and you're trying to help them or see if they're already aware of it. Mm-hmm. And they are throwing, you're like, I'm picturing like throwing out random darts. Right. <laughs> no, it's because my chair is uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> no, it's because my shoes hurt me that day. Right. Whatever right. other issue. And you're thinking, no, I think that we're keep, we keep coming back to this type of client is difficult right. for you. Right. Or at this time of day, your mind is somewhere else mm-hmm. or something like that. Exactly. 
Okay. Can you think of any other ways that you might harness countertransference in supervision? Well, I think once it's labeled and you've been aware of it, to then say, again, breaking that cycle, it's not a negative. So how do you use it for the positive and being okay with like, so you kind of have this superpower now. You're aware (laughs) of this dynamic. Use it for what you can. Like, what can you gain from it? Yeah. Right? If I'm having countertransference over a situation and I'm not going to address it, then nothing's going to change and that dynamic's going to be worse and worse and worse. Well, I mean, I think you're implying you don't have a conversation about it one time. Right. You have follow-up conversations. So if you discuss in one supervision session, yes, I'm having countertransference towards this client, then the supervisor maybe even the next week says, how's that client going? Right. I know you were feeling a lot of Mm countertransference or how do you help yourself or how do you prepare yourself knowing right sometimes you have countertransference towards this person and sometimes it is about looking at at the things you don't think of like the schedule wow is that client sandwiched between two other clients that are also high intensity Mm -hmm. or are you really tired at four o'clock every day and you need to move their session and looking at some of the other dynamics that are making it are hindering it worse something that i might do to help a supervisee look at this would be sand tray oh yeah Mm-hmm. Like after we've already labeled it, maybe even before we've labeled it, but definitely after we've already labeled it to look at, create a sand tray and then reflect on the dynamics of the sand tray, the, the emotions that it's expressing might be one way. Right. I think that's a great idea. That would really allow time to process. I like to, um, I don't always have them do it all the time, but I like my supervisees to journal just like a little bit mm-hmm. about their difficult client in the moment. So like after that session ends, do a quick little jot about why you sensed in session there was something that came up, but like do a quick little note about why, because sometimes they've seen the client on Monday. They're not having supervision with me till Thursday. They've seen 15 clients in between that time mm-hmm. and they're not, mm-hmm. you know, aware. I think, you know, kind of a, a mix between journaling and reflecting and maybe some sand tray, not in a dismissive or flippant way, but maybe identifying what that character stands for for you or what that oh, yeah. that client stands right. for for you. And I might do that like choosing an archetype, mm-hmm. like a little that, young, yes. you know, uh-huh. so I like that maybe this client, this client represents a little bunny for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Well, why does it, why is this client a little bunny? Well, they're quiet. And they're a little bit skittish. Right. They might, they're a little bit jumpy. And that might help us remember. Remember you're having that that reaction where you feel like they're you're the little bunny that you don't want to scare off. And to help them kind of like harness those feelings again right. or recognize right. what how it affects us. So using that next week. Supervision. <laughs> I love that. That's great. The reason I say not flip it is because I think it can. Oh, cross into the, right, right. If you, um, right. you don't want to pick something that's sarcastic or unkind, mm-hmm. and you don't then want to use the archetype in a way that promotes a negative, yeah, mm-hmm. or makes it worse, right? <laughs> right. You're already, your yeah. feelings already worse, yeah. Well, thanks today for listening to Supervision with the Vision. We would love to hear about how you are harnessing uh, countertransference in your supervision. You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.